episode 112 of Corporate Lunch, the podcast about clothes, the customer service podcast about fast casual dining, clothing, and um, merch, merchandise, hats. hats. Corporate Lunch is now not only the Jiggy Style podcast about clothes, it's also a hat brand. Yeah, part of the pivot, you know, one of the big transitions we're going to be making um, this week is into a full-on, a millinery we're all milliners now, now that we have an official mm-hmm. corporate lunch hat. Um, Andrew, Andrew Quo helped us with a little bit of graphic design. And um, it is indeed a dad hat, a so-called dad hat. Um, of course, the, the irony of that is that um, only young people wear dad hats, you know, most, most of whom aren't dads. So like, should it be renamed, do you think? I think a lot of young people are pretty paternal. <laughs> Speaking of being a dad. Bye. Just blew up your spot. You thought you were saying something really edgy about how no one's a dad. Well, I do wear dad hats. The actually the only dad hat I have that I really like is also from Andrew Quo, the Alice Neal hat. Anyway, we are a hat brand now. It's official. You can buy the hat. They're six hundred dollars, and um, they're extremely cool. They have Chrome Hearts hardware on them and hand embroidery done by um, none other than a machine. A, a machine <laughs> with hands, a new kind of machine. They're at shop.gq.com. Shop.gq.com. Crucial, crucial detail. Shop.gq.com. And if you don't buy one, if you don't buy one right now, as you're listening to this episode, you're going to be out of luck because it'll be sold out because my mom's going to buy them all. <laughs> That's right. To give as gifts to your humongous family. Sam has 45 brothers and sisters. And they all are his twins. It's not, it's, it's technically our second piece of merch. There was a corporate, a very rare corporate lunch t-shirt uh, bootleg, but like an official bootleg, I'd say, because it was done by friends um, that exists. That one was great. The Schritz bootleg that um, Quo and uh, Pascal Spangman and um, Leo Fitzpatrick did, unbeknownst to us. That was like two years ago, I think. It was so early. It was the pre-Rachel era. So it actually doesn't have Rachel's name on it. Oh. Um, but I think they might, they might reboot that design and, and throw Rachel on the back as they should. Just throw me on there. I have one extra, actually. I have one extra tee that they sent us. It's like a double XL, I think, black colorway. Whoa. Um, so if, if any of the, if any double XL friends of the pod out there really want this tee, um, bang my DMs. But you have to buy the hat first. The thing about it's double XL, yeah, it's a thousand bucks. And yeah, you do have to buy the hat first. And if you send a proof of purchase to Sam, you'll be entered to win the double XL tee. And the good thing about double XL as a size is that technically everyone is a double XL. Oh, you're a medium? Cool. Here's a double XL. Sam and I actually hung out this weekend. And, and um, the instant that I met Sam at his apartment in Chinatown and picked him up, was the instant that Joe Biden had um, been declared the victor. And so we um, drove around triumphantly waving flags and honking the horn and screaming at people. What really did happen (laughs) is that Sam and I had a big hang this weekend and it happened right in the moment that Biden was declared, announced 
we didn't know it was going to happen, obviously, because the election took many, many, many days. How did you guys spend those days, those beautiful days of unknowing? I don't remember. Yeah. I've no idea. <laughs> it's like when John Lennon had that affair, like when he was married to Yoko Ono, the lost weekend. I mean, that's me. I have no idea what happened. Yeah, I, I just like became like a resistance wine mom and just like <laughs> like watched a lot of MSNBC and like, you know, developed all these like bizarre conspiracy theories. I really like the conspiracy theory about lizard people. That's like a, been a popular one for years now. That has to do with like the deep state and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of people who are in charge are lizards. When we worked at um, the World Trade Center, where we still do sort of work, we just don't really go there very often, um, or our headquarters remains there, our spiritual home remains there, there'd be protesters on September 11th every year, like kind of conspiracy theory, like Bush did 9-11 types, and they often had lizard signage and whatnot. They were big, big into the lizard scene. That sounds like that sounds like an underground like Bushwick um, <laughs> sex party thing. Big into the lizard scene. Yeah, it was around the time yeah, that the covens, um, covens and witches were really popping in Bushwick. So you had kind of like the lizard guys downtown and then the, the witches of Bushwick. Um, anyway, congrats, Joe Biden. Um, he'll be obviously on the pod. The guest on corporate lunch. Yeah. yeah. Um, someone did. Someone did say that they they wished that we. This was, I guess, I don't know, someone DM Noah and, and was wondering why we weren't more like, uh, why, why we weren't talking about Joe Biden more in the wake of his victory. And I just want to say, like, I had a, I bought a giant iPad. I bought some khakis from Gap. I started fucking crunching the numbers and the data to make the official corporate lunch key race alert pro- projection yeah. to call the presidency. And then Noah and Rachel told me that we don't actually do that on corporate lunch we don't call elections so i had to put it away we're not the decision desk we're the indecision desk if anything i'll tell you what though that dm actually came to me not to noah Uh, and the crazy thing about it was that as as a delaware native i have like a hundred pictures of my family with joe biden (laughs) because there are like not even a million people in the state and I, you know, I was like, okay, cool. This is my day. And I posted like a, a lot of these very shamelessly. I was like, here's my aunt and uncle with Joe Biden. Here's my dad with Joe Biden in 1998. Here's my childhood best friend with Joe Biden in 1994. And so this person telling me that like, we weren't talking enough about Joe Biden was so confusing. Yeah. So I actually did. I mean, I never respond to the haters because they don't know what they're talking about. But I did respond to this person and I wrote, huh? <laughs> and, and in fact, the next day they wrote back and they were like, you know what, Rachel, I'm really sorry. I had a lot to drink last night and I really <laughs> regret trolling you. Did you wow. have any, do you have any photos of you with Hunter Biden or your family with Hunter? <laughs> I don't, I Those don't photos. have any photos of me with um, I'm an, actually, I'm in a lot of the photos that are on his hard drive, but they haven't come out yet. <laughs> yeah. Sam, that was an inappropriate question. Um, I think we all know that that sort of thing is personal. And, um, but who's your, among, who is your guy's favorite septuagenarian um, in the news this week? Is it Joe Biden or is it Keith Richards? Keith Richards. I mean, I wrote in Keith Richards for president, actually. So. <laughs> um Gabriella Paella, GQ's very own brilliant 
culture writer got some time with Keith Richards, which is why I'm bringing this up and had a pretty fun conversation that includes some talk about dogs and um, Rolling Stones drama a little bit and making music. And most importantly, what Keith has been wearing um, during, you know, his pandemic style, which he describes as um, his, you know, his comfies. He's wearing his comfies, a word that I find um, just repulsive. And he's also wearing his Uggies. Makes you think that he just adds like an IES to all of his, like he's wearing his pantsies and his shirtsies and his comfies and his Uggsies. <laughs> Rolling stonies. <laughs> Very baggy, soft things he says he's been wearing. I mean, oh, and he calls Uggs peasant looking things, which is pretty funny. What did he say was his favorite Stones album? That was a good, a good question. Exile on Main Street. Exile on Main Street, that's right. But he's he so sort basic. of ran through. What a he's, basic Rolling Stones <laughs> fan. He sort of ran, like said that after running through like six different, you know, six other albums. It's funny that he didn't he didn't mention any other albums from the seventies besides Sticky Fingers and Exile Main Street. But like no Some Girls, no Goat's Head Soup. I don't think he remembers a lot of the seventies. Were you guys disappointed to find that he's been wearing sweatpants and Uggs? No. Yeah, my, my king can wear whatever he wants. Fine. I mean, Sam's been wearing leather pants, so I just think it's funny that Sam's in leather pants and Sam and Keith Richards have swapped identities. Like Keith Richards is dressing like a, you know, off like a weekend on campus, like headed to the library to cram for midterms. And Sam is dressing like a English rock star. Yeah. Keith's in the hangover fit. Hangover college kid fit. Swashbuckling rock star. Sam, tell us about your leather pants and um, like how many miles have you put on them so far? I, I have put zero miles on them. I actually got them back from the tailor yesterday. You um, had, them I had, to, tailor? I had to get them I had to get them just hemmed very slightly. So I bought, um, I've, been, I've been on, as I think I've discussed on the podcast before, I've been on the hunt for like the perfect pair of leather pants. Um, and I found them at Our Legacy. Shout out to Yakum, former corporate lunch guest. Um, and they're like, they're the Our Legacy biker trouser. Um, so they don't have any, it was a pretty risky purchase because they don't have any belt, loop, they don't have any belt loops. They don't have any pockets. They're like high-waisted, straight leg, beautiful, supple leather trousers. What um, kind of closure do they have? They have like a little clasp and, and button. And I think they're t- it's technically like a women's fit. So they button the opposite way. Oh. Is that like confusing left, for left you? Left over right. Yeah, it fucks me up. Um, that's just insane. I have a that's why you start to put them on and then you can't figure it out. So no, that's I, why all, you I literally always there. button them. I always try to go the other way, yeah. Um, I have a women's cardigan from Laura Manugian and it, I guess everyone knows this, but it for, for the 1% who don't, it buttons the, you know, the buttons are on the opposite side as it would be for a men's, which is so um, weird, isn't it? Is it sexist? Why do they do that? Because our, our, one of our hands is really much bigger than the other. <laughs> Have you seen that crab that sort of, the, the crab that has one big claw that waves? Yeah, that's what women are. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. So Sam, did the... Why did you get them hemmed? Do leather pants have to have like no break? Yeah, they were just like an inch too long. And I want them to just be totally straight because you can't really have a sloppy 
hem on a leather pant because it's like a it's a heavy structured you know it's not a fabric obviously but it's like it's 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 like heavy and has some structures so if it like it doesn't like pool in a nice way it like just looks sort of shitty if it's too long just clumps up yeah what kind of shoes are you going to wear with these leather pants probably like docks boots leather on um, leather leather on leather loafer like you know it's my celine loafers Ugg boots it's gonna be a fucking feature film when i wear these things all right well report back um maybe i'll even debut them at this ig live that we're gonna do later today you're doing an ig yeah. live today well thursday the day that this comes out you know who should do leather pants and i'm surprised that they haven't is supreme have they ever done a pair of leather pants i'm sure they have don't you have the leather blazer that was a beautiful yeah, I do. piece you should wear the leather blazer with the leather pants. And then you got real Julian Casablanca style. Seriously. It's crazy how leather bl- leather blazers really blew the fuck up in the last yeah. year. Yeah. But it was because of Uncut Gems. Shout out Mordecai Rubenstein. Supreme sold out, huh? Yeah, I guess so. VF copped Supreme on Grailed for $2.2 billion. What do you guys, what do you guys, what do you guys make of the conversation around it. I mean, first of all, everyone knew that Supreme's been taking on investment for like the last 10 years, right? And then when they mm-hmm. sold half to Carlisle Group, it was known that the intention was to organize the business in some way with the Carlisle Group's help. This was my understanding anyway, for like, for ultimately for a sale to someone else. That's what the Carlisle Group does. They don't like sit on a, they're not going to like hold Supreme for a long time. It's not the type of business they have. Yeah. I sort of thought they would end up selling it to LVMH, but I don't know why I thought that. Only like, it's just like the the premier brand. It's like the, the best in class brand. And that just feels like what LVMH kind of like looks for um, in some cases. I don't know. Maybe they were, maybe the Tiffany deal tired them out from buying America. Yeah, they ran out of money. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you're like, oh, I need the blazer and the pants, but you have bought the blazer and the blazer was a lot more than you thought it was going to be and you can't buy the pants. Let's put it that way. I guess I'm confused by why people assume that Supreme is gonna change a lot, you know? Supreme only has, I mean, I think, I think like the, the it, like Supreme feels bigger than ever, but it's still, you know, a, a brand with only 12 stores, almost no like physical presence in China, um, which is obviously like the biggest, you know, streetwear market right now, I think. Um, like the opportunity to like grow the brand is is pretty clearly just like getting rid of all, you know, trying to get rid of all of these like fake Supreme brands in like Europe and Asia that took advantage of Supreme, like not expanding into those countries pre Carlisle group investment, because like, I think they probably just didn't have the resources to do it. You know, I, I don't think that the brand will, you know, like the, like our interaction with it as like consumers and fans of the brand will change at all. Um, I think in this new VF on, reality. Just depends on how long James Jebbia decides to stick around. Um, yeah. You know, like, he's never really had to answer to anyone, and and maybe that'll stay the same, but it seems like in most instances when you have, like, a tyrannical evil genius leading an operation like that, it doesn't go well when when they uh, end up with, you know, new bosses, new overlords. Um, and I, I, I do think that Jebby is the thing that um, 
makes Supreme ultimately a success. Yeah, but like the North Face gets to basically do, you know, seemingly whatever they want. You know, like they they seem to have like a great deal of independence from, um, you know, some sort of like centralized corporate like superstructure. I don't know how exactly VF operates, but like the North Face gets to collaborate with Gucci and Margiela and like- Oh, for sure. But like- But there are also more people buying like the North Face core products than there are people buying Supreme core products. Yeah, I mean, the North Face has like a massive wholesale distribution operation, you know? I mean, I think like- Yeah, the North Face is just a much bigger business. It's always interesting to me when when there's Supreme news because you get, you get this- uh, you get a lot of people with a lot of ideas, but ultimately like and the, the interesting thing about this is that it's like a publicly traded business. And now there's going to be all this new transparency about Supreme, but up until then there really isn't like the thing that people always say about Supreme. And that is in the Vanessa Friedman story about like, can Supreme stay, can the Chanel of streetwear stay cool is that Supreme's built on the principle of scarcity, which like, no one knows how many of anything Supreme makes. I, I just always find that point to be really, really interesting that like people get really hung up on this idea that this, the secret to Supreme success is that it's limited edition and that the, the way Supreme keeps demand high and, and sells through everything is by making small quantities of things or something like this, but no one knows that. And I don't believe that to be true at all. I think they're actually probably for considering that there's that there's e global ecom in twelve stores, I bet they're making and selling a lot. And I, I mean, how else would you explain that? I have personally a hundred thousand Supreme pinball machines <laughs> in storage. I mean, I you bought them all. You can only make so many pinball machines, but yeah, point taken. But like everybody, everyone gets Supreme. Everyone can have some. Every Supreme for all. Everyone owns a little bit of Supreme. It is not difficult to get. There are a handful of pieces that remain difficult to get, like a box logo t-shirt. But for the most part, you can get what you want relatively easy for retail price or like maybe a smudge higher or lower. I mean, that's just the way Supreme's been for a while now. So I just think there's like kind of like a lot of phony. There's like, there's kind of a bogus premise to a lot of the Supreme conversations that people just rely on kind of this like hackneyed bullshit people have been saying. And um that's not necessarily, that's like, not that it's all baseless, but it's not necessarily the point and it's not always so accurate. Um, it would be interesting if Supreme did increase production and because I think in doing so, they would basically like effectively kill the resale market, which feels like such a core part of the brand experience is like interacting with resellers when you don't get the thing you want. Yeah. But if, you, if, you, if, you, if like anyone can get the thing that they want, I think that would obviously like really change, um, you know, like our perception of the brand. Rachel, does high fashion Twitter engage with Supreme news? Uh, no, not really. It's They're funny not really. I feel like they just like every so often someone on HF Twitter will just tweet, okay, now it's official, Supreme is over. And then everyone will just like, it'll get like two likes and everyone will just move on. Wow, you're a real HF Twitter hater. <laughs> no, I like HF Twitter. Sometimes, but they have a lot of bad takes, yeah. which is like part of I the, mean, the charm. They're in this amazing phase right now, I think, where like almost all the tweets are like, what people need to understand <laughs> about, and then it's like, you know, 1995 Chanel is that. 
like so you know a, a lot of people have been re like releasing uh reading lists of like if you're gonna talk about fashion you have to read all these books yeah and then it's like a kind of random assortment of books and then a lot of people are like i will soon release the list of books that everyone needs to read as soon as i read them that's pretty funny because like the whole you know that's not really how twitter works you no, just get on no. twitter and you say whatever the fuck you want that's the whole point right rachel you've been saying that hf twitter is like uniquely out of control right now right yeah i created a monster <laughs> what's going on well i just did what i'm talking about right. you know this like kind of pedantic obsession with you know i just read this book and i'm taking screenshots of it a lot of people are saying things that are just like totally aren't true um there's a lot of fashion misinformation out there fake fashion, fashion fake news fashion fake news we need twitter to start cracking down yeah blocking people's yeah. tweets fashion like real enthusiasts and insiders always feel like they're protect they need to protect their turf intensely intensely territorial and one way of doing that would be to insist that you can't participate unless you've like you've read the canon yeah although it's funny because hf twitter is like not the establishment like that's the whole point of it you know um did you guys were you guys fans of jill sanders uniqlo collection that's called plus j yeah you are I have a couple pieces of it. I know some people really, really love it. And I remember it kind of uh, always eluded me. I'm not that interested in mass market fashion collaborations. And and that one came at a time where I feel like there was a lot of that stuff. But isn't it regarded as like the best or something? Why do people, why do people love it so much? I guess it was the first time when, uh, or one of the first examples of a designer actually designing the collaboration. Yeah. So I think people liked that about it. And it looked pretty expensive. Yeah, it looked nice and it was really thoughtful and it wasn't just like gra graphic or it didn't seem like marketing. It seemed like a genuine effort to like bring two kinds of worlds together in a way that everyone, where everyone wins. But Jill Sanders just the absolute best. So they're bringing it back and then there's, of course, Vanessa Freeman got some time with Jill to talk about the return of of Plus J. Like, come on, such a bad name um, to Uniqlo. But they get a little bit into like the state of kind of like how pe the conversation kind of gets into like how people are dressing now. Like Jill says, I think Ms. Sanders says, I think that radical downdressing is a drainer. This is like a little bit of something, maybe something we've been talking about. Um, but she hits a bunch of good points. She says she's stupefied by the nostalgic turn fashion continues to take. Stupefied. It's just funny because I take fashion nostalgia for granted. I think like if you come like me, it, I mean, it's super intensely like my micro generation, but like obsession with like the sneakers and the brands of like the, of 20 years ago, like has always been like so intense and dominant. I just always assume that like nostalgia is it's just always such a crucial part of like the current trend, really not crucial. Yeah. But it's a heavily weighted like aspect of like deciding where things are headed. I don't necessarily think that's right. Well, the nineties were like the least nostalgic time in fashion. Right. Like the nineties and the thirties and the nineties is when 
that's that was her decade so right and i guess that's that's the decade people are most nostalgic about now and have been for a while i mean it makes sense i mean she like jill really just like dipped out of the game she says dressing in yesterday's styles depresses our capacity to deal with present problems i don't know I don't know that dressing in any way deals with deals with problems, but the the point the thing she says that I really like is not making an effort in the morning will slow down your day and disorient you. It's good, that's right? So, make, that's so true. Make the effort up front, you know. Otherwise, you're going to pay for it later. What is the when can we buy the new J Plus? Are you guys going to are you guys going to wait in line for it? You can buy the new J Plus after you buy a corporate lunch hat <laughs> out on the same day. I think. <laughs> Yeah, I think, um, I was going to say, I think the corporate lunch hat is going to be available at Uniqlo, but it's not. You can go to Uniqlo and then on your phone, go to shop.gq.com and order the hat while you wait in line to pay for your J plus frock or whatever the fuck you're going to buy. What did you guys think about Smallwood and Stoolgate? I was shocked that that essence which publishes like some interesting and thoughtful stuff but that they did something so controversial and juicy such as what's up with everyone's small wooden stools by max lakin do you guys know how to say you guys have small do you guys have small wooden stools i know you do sam i know you're sitting on one right now uh yeah i'm crouching i'm crouching like a gargoyle on a small wooden stool (laughs) to record this podcast no i actually don't have one but um i was I'm, i'm in the market for at least one small wooden stool to like put like a plant on in my corner or something. I mean, I know what he's referring to. It's especially the like French provincial, like little handmade thing, like milking stools. Mm -hmm. Um, It, it, I don't, I don't really have a stool per se, but I have lots of handmade objects that fit into what, into this discussion that Max is having with himself about, um, some sort of issues he has with with um, endlessly curating corners with handmade objects. The misplaced virtue of endlessly curating corners with handmade objects. I just sort of like the way he like, I mean, he's making an argument here, but I also think he did a pretty good job of just like putting his finger on like a micro aesthetic trend in kind of an interesting way. I mean, it's like, a, it is a familiar thing, this idea of like the hodgepodge of handmade, like quote unquote found, objects from different continents that kind of, you know, out of, out of context and out of, um, and, and just being used for like an, a vibe, um, you know, folk art sort of mashup type type of stuff. I don't, I don't really personally have too much of a problem with it. And like, in fact, I, I do think this idea of like curating corners is very like, modern expression of style it made me think of jason dill who like is sort of the skater who's also sort of an artist but the thing he really does is like build these shrines like he'll turn he turns areas in his home into like these like elaborate shot shrines of just like objects and ephemera and stuff and i just think that there's something about you know people have like an inclination to do this and it's a little bit maybe it is misplaced but it's like a little bit of an expression of creativity in some bizarre way i have one thing in a corner. I don't use, I don't utilize the corners of my home, but I do have one thing in the corner. Would anyone like to guess what it is? Like a statue, like a hand carved statue of a clown? A bear brick, a cause bear brick. 
<laughs> very close. Very, very close. The Supreme Brick? It is, it is a two-foot-tall bottle of Kith tequila. Oh, <laughs> let's go. Um, Kith Polo. Kith keeps doing these collaborations, and I don't think I follow Kith. I'm not really all that interested in what um, Kith does or makes at all. But, you know, the the, the bigger it grows, the, it does become a little more interesting, I think, as it scales and becomes just really sort of mass and there's something weird about that. But they just didn't, I don't know, did they just announce Polo? Kith Polo yeah. collab? Interestingly, it's not, it doesn't actually seem to be like a direct collab. Like there's no, there's no Kith logo on the Polo gear as far as I can tell. It's Polo has made exclusive pieces and exclusive designs that will only be sold at Kith. And they have like a special exclusive for Kith tag in them. But it's just a capsule. Yeah, I see. It's a capsule. So it's like, it's like a little, yeah, it's like a little special delivery basically. Um, I think, I think they might've gotten, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe there were some like weird feelings in the, in, at Team Polo after the Palace collab or something. It might've just been like, all right, we're done. (laughs) We're done like with the heel flip um, polar bears. I mean, I think it's just hard. Yeah. Probably extremely hard to get. I don't know. Like polo doesn't, hasn't done collaborations and I don't, but the, I, these capsule, like these capsule collections, that's like a cool idea. That's like what Barney's used to do. That's what department Mm -hmm. stores used to do is you would get a, you wouldn't, you would wholesale all types of fashion brands, but you wouldn't just carry the same shit that every other store carried. You would, you would kind of like have a special order, like Armani for Barney's or something. It's smart for Polo too, because presumably a lot of the people who are shopping Kith are like really into like vintage Polo sport and stuff like that. It's meeting, meeting the consumer that they need where they are. Well, I was going to say the thing I like that's, about like these KIF collaborations is that a lot of them are just like a licensing exchange, you know, like they're not in the same way that like Supreme usually collaborates with someone, which is like, I would presume that there's like some share when Supreme collaborates with a brand, like there's some share in the production costs. Right. And it's like a kind of, a lot of times there's some kind of like creative exchange of like, okay, we're going to use like these fabrics and and do these silhouettes and that kind of thing. Like with the Kith collaborations, like for the most part, like he's giving Nobu money to put Nobu on t-shirts yeah, and sweatshirts. I, yeah, I think Supreme does both, right? Like when Supreme does like Smurfs, they're just licensing Smurfs. But when Supreme does Yoji Yamamoto, they're like working with the house of Yoji Yamamoto to develop stuff in the way that you're saying. I think it's funny that Kith has done a couple of these like lookbooks with really intense like decor, like modern decor, like sort of arch- not like, like like the one like the for- glass house. Yeah. Right? Aren't they in the glass house in Connecticut? Is that the Asics one? Is it? No, there's, it's not the, it's not like the glass house, it, but it has a very new Canaan, like mid-century modern Harvard trained architect vibe to it. And then the, the polo one is like in sort of an upstate New York, like Catskills looking, uh, you know, renovated farmhouse or something. I don't fucking know what it is, sure. but they're like these, it's like a little kinfolk magazine, you know, it's like a little bit of like a precious, uh, kind of prosaic interior 
design like dwr catalog kind of vibe in a way that you're like mm-hmm. hmm, is this really cool i don't know who is this for i'm sure ronnie's doing quite well with all of these and driving around in his kith m3 yeah i mean i can't i just i personally i just can't wait for my kith bmw to deliver in uh, summer 2021 he sold a bunch of fucking cars didn't he they sold 150 of them yeah it's funny that these things keep like that the Kith BMW news was like pretty big, I guess, because he sold a bunch of cars and that's kind of new territory. And then the Supreme VF, like publicly traded company news and everyone's like streetwear is fun, you know, is like, is really like actually influential and is proving to be like a, a market mover sort of like segment of the, of the market. And you're just like, just, just was one now, tweet. Just that was one tweet, Noah. What one tweet? That was only one person on Twitter said that. What you're describing. The other thing, though, that I would like, guys, I'm thinking more about this car thing. Like everyone's buying cars right now. Why are we congratulating him for selling 150 cars? <laughs> well, they're very. Everyone is, but you just bought another car, Noah. Yeah, I have a fleet, but the Kith BMW is a very, very expensive car. So. Yeah, I mean, good point. People got plenty of money. The rich are getting yeah. rich. That's why we must eat them. You know what I want to eat? <laughs> what? <laughs> a, Mc... <laughs> a McPlant? Yeah, McPlant. I think okay. McPlant is like one of the great new branding experiences I've, I've heard of this year. I wish we thought of it. When we roll out our fake meat product, the, uh, the Corpo Burger. See, I thought you were going to go with corporate lunch meat. <laughs> yeah the plant just sounds it just sounds like a cactus plant flea market mcdonald's collaboration which literally happened as part Already. of the travis scott thing yeah. was, wait travis scott included travis scott mcdonald's included cactus plant or you mean she just helped design it no it, it was like cactus plant designed i think it was like designed and branded cactus plant travis scott mcdonald's merch mcplant it's perfect. Right, and unstoppable. Like, yeah, they've already done McPlant. But it's okay. I mean, everyone's just like coming up with ideas over and over again. Like, I think their next thing is going to be like, what about like a guy who's obsessed with stealing hamburgers? <laughs> <laughs> the hamburger relaunch? Hamburger? Yeah. But he's a vegan. Yeah. <laughs> a pl- vegan thief. The plant burglar? There was a, there was a vegan... There was a vegan scandal a couple of years ago that Alec Baldwin was somehow wrapped up into and they found, she was like on the lam with her husband and they found them in Tennessee because they'd ordered a Domino's pizza. Mm. You guys remember this? No, No, not at all. It was one of the great, I mean, it probably, it happened, I'm sure like you guys, I mean, like me, you guys don't remember anything that happened before 2016. Nope. But this was in 2014 or 15. She owned like a vegan restaurant in Union Square and then committed massive fraud. So she's the vegan hamburglar. I thought we should take a moment to, to celebrate the life of Alex Trebek, which, who I think, um, who we just lost to pancreatic cancer, which is fucking terrible. And, um, but someone said, maybe it was like, during St. Felix and the New Yorker or like someone pointed out like, you know, he had this demeanor of kind of like seriousness and honesty, like partly, which I guess came from the idea that 
game shows used to have a lot of cheating. This is timely. And there were cheating scandals on televised game shows up until sort of like Trebek took over or, you know, till Jeopardy started with Trebek as the host. And he like, he had to project an air of like, you know, like there's going to be no fucking cheating on this show. Like I've got this under control. But what I want to say is I think he's probably like the chicest man ever to be on television. Just like so consistent and put together and, and in control and projecting a vibe through his, through his um, personal appearance, really. I mean, he's smart and witty and funny and like great to listen to and charming and all that, but really like an inspiration in terms of, um, in terms of attention to personal appearance and how it, and what it signals. Young Trebek was also just such a pimp. Yeah. With well like said. the mustache and like the, like, <laughs> un- to, like un- you know, deep V unbuttoned shirts and stuff. He always looked so fucking cool. On election night, I was watching, um, like flipping between MSNBC and CNN until, and then as I was watching like Wolf Blitzer, on CNN, I just realized like how stupid he is. Like I had never really like fully grasped like just how like there's like nothing happening in Wolf Blitzer's mind. Yeah. And then I, I watched a friend of mine tip me off to Wolf Blitzer's Jeopardy appearance. He was he was on Celebrity Jeopardy, and there's a supercut on YouTube of Wolf just getting every single question wrong, <laughs> and he's like so confidently like you know buzzes in and, and, and answers the questions. And it's like very satisfying to hear Alex Trebek just every single time just be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and he ended up down like $4,100 or something. And Trebek wow. had to take pity on him and, and, and you know, forgive him his debts so that he could play um, the lightning round or whatever at the end. Double Jeopardy. He, oh. was, he was really good in Mission Impossible though. That's true. Wolf Blitzer. Did you guys ever aspire to be a contestant on Jeopardy? No. No. One of my friends was on Jeopardy though, as a as a young woman. How did she do? She did a really good job. I think she won. Wow. Noah, you would be good on Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? <laughs> Is that a show? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be so devastating. I would lose any any fucking game show I would lose, except for maybe like um the price is right. I would crush on the price is right because I'm such a good capitalist. I really like that show. I've always wanted to do the wheel. I mean, it looks so heavy. You know, you really have to like pull down. Yeah. It looks fun. It's like being in a bell tower. There you have it, folks. That's the end of episode 112 <laughs> of Corporate Lunch. Buy a hat. Call Wear your it mom. on the golf course. Wear it golfing. It is a good golf hat. Sam, would you, Sam and Rachel, as golfers, would you guys say that you think the new corporate lunch hat is a good golf hat? Perfect oh, yeah. golf hat. We I should make it, them in. We should make them in white. As yeah, well. we should. We should do a second it. colorway in white With for the tennis. Green brim, like the green under the brim, sort of classic mm-hmm. thing to do. Do you guys have thirteen or fourteen vibes to share, or zero vibes? It's kind of a vibe-heavy episode. Oh, I've got a, I've got a good vibe, which is that I rewatched. There's something about Mary, which is a great golf film. Oh, fuck, I love that. Um, movie. it's so good. It's so it's. I thought it would be one of those things that wouldn't be as good now that I'm an adult, but it was actually even better. Um, I've got one vibe that I just saw hit the feeds. Um, Lueve, wait, it was Lueve, right? Lueve came mm-hmm. out with mm-hmm. Ken Price bags. Ken, yeah. Ken Price is like, I think maybe one of my favorite favorite artists. 
Did you guys know that was happening? Like, was that announced long ago or did it happen before? I just saw it today and learned it. Was an, it was announced yesterday. Oh, Ken Price bags. I'm not really a big fan of like the art, the collaboration where it's like, we're collaborating with an artist and we just put their work on an object we made. I think that is often like not what I want, but in this case, very good. Very, very good. Sam, you have to do one vibe. My vibe is I finally watched the Oasis documentary. Oh yeah. From 2018, the A24 Oasis doc. Um, just full of big tunes, big fits, great hair. Yeah. Great hair. sunglasses, yeah. horrible attitudes. Half the movie, you, like, you, or half of the film, you can't even tell what any of the Gallagher, what either of the Gallagher brothers is saying because their accents are so thick. Um, What's your favorite Oasis song? Ooh, great question. Acquiesce, maybe? Rachel, are you into the, um, the Oasis? Yeah, I mean, sure. Isn't everyone? You can't not like Oasis. I don't know. I, was, I think they kind of suck, but... Um, they're like the Beatles, but better. Yeah, they're definitely better than the Beatles. <laughs> Uh, a headline from that time referred to them as the sex Beatles. all right sex pistols meet the Beatles. so that was clever oh i thought it just meant like the sexy Beatles. or Beatles who have sex who, well yeah well, the Beatles are a little bit um neutered unsa- yeah a little, <laughs> a little bit abstinent mm-hmm. later john lennon is kind of sexy don't you remember from, he was really sexy yeah. from Paul McCartney's GQ cover when he said that they all spanked it together? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the best New York Post covers of all time. Beat the Meatles. Beat the Meatles. <laughs> wow. On that note. <laughs> all right, I got to sign off. I got to take the car into the shop. I got to go take my kit. Uh, my kith M3 needs to go in for a tune-up. So I'll uh, talk to you guys later. All right. Okay, bye. Bye. bye.